Amen. All righty. Well, hey, how many guys like going on uh, on those uh, Sunday afternoon drives? You ever do that? The thing here in Vegas when it's not 127,000 degrees, right? You ever you do that with you? You know, you get in the car. It's kind of a cool thing. You finally, maybe it was after you went uh, got out of the hospital from going to KFC and you wanted some real food. You know what I'm saying? So you do you ever go on a, a Sunday afternoon drive? Raise your hand. Okay. Whew, praise God. There's mannequin tonight. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> But, uh, and they're kind of fun, nice, you only enjoy it, it's kind of relaxing, whatever, but how many guys would like to have your Sunday afternoon drive go something like this? Let's take a look. Cow. Another cow. Actually, I think that was the same one. understatement of the year. Now, how many guys would say that Ruth is never going to go on a ride to Pahrumpa with John again? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Take a different route. Go to Boulder City, try a different town. Uh, but anyway, and seriously, though, how, how would you guys like to have your Sunday afternoon drive? It started out nice, but it ended with a tornado chasing you. How would you like that? Okay, I think the answer is obvious. None of us would, and the reason is why. Tornadoes are scary, right? Okay, turn to somebody and say, they're very scary, right? They're scary. They're very scary, right? They're fearful, right? Now, here's the obvious point. Again, here's the irony. More people today are more afraid of going through a super-duper twister than they are one day of having to face their maker, right? More people today are more concerned about being blown away by that blob than they are of having to face Almighty God. And if you hear last time, we saw the reason why. The Bible is very clear, Romans chapter 3. The reason why is because there is no fear of God before their eyes. And this is not no small deal. This is uh, something that can affect a person's eternity, Okay, because Jesus, as we clearly saw, says, here's somebody you need to be afraid of, and it's not man, it is God, because God alone has the ability and the power to send us either straight into heaven through Jesus Christ or straight into hell for rejecting him. And how many guys would say that's a really bad way to spend your Sunday afternoon anytime, period, okay? And we need to get back to that healthy reverence uh, for God and who he is, okay? And again, that's why we're going to continue our study, the witness of of creation. Again, you know the routine. What we're doing is we're taking a look at the different evidences that God's left behind for us, showing us that he's real, and we really can have a relationship with him uh, through Jesus Christ before it's too late. You don't want to go to hell. You want to go to heaven. Anybody concur? Okay, that's the only way you get there, okay? And he's given us evidence for that, and we saw that in a multitude of ways, and that was the evidence we saw that intelligent creation or intelligent design. The second evidence was the evidence of a young creation or a young earth. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. The third evidence is the evidence of a special creation, looking at all the mechanisms of 
Darwinian evolution. They don't even work, and they uh, even admit it. And then we saw the fourth evidence was the evidence of a judge creation, or in the days of Noah's study, ancient technology, giants, and Noah's Ark, and all that stuff. And what was the whole premise of that? God judged this planet once because of sin. He's going to do it again. So you might want to take that to heart uh, before it's too late. And then last time, we began the fifth and final one, the evidence, and that's the evidence of a fearful creation, or in other words, the truth about dinosaurs, okay? Because I know it's a shocker, folks. We've been lied to, once again, by evolution. And what we saw last time, if you recall, God not only created the dinosaurs, okay, but his word, i.e. the Bible, mentions dinosaurs, which shouldn't be a surprise. That's what you'd expect if God created them, right? He'd record them, and he did. And we saw it wasn't just not once, not twice, but possibly four different times with behemoth, leviathan, the wild ox, okay, and the flying fiery a serpent, okay? God is the one who made the dinosaurs from the get-go. That's our foundation for our study, not evolution, okay? And so you might be thinking the next logical conclusion, the next logical step, but wait a second, if God, if God is the one who created dinosaurs, and that's what it says, all right, then wait a second, they're a land animal, right? Um, and the Bible says that God created man at the same time he made the land animals, right? Put two and two together, as weird as it sounds, with the brainwashing of evolution. Does that mean that man and dinosaurs really coexisted, really lived together? Yeah, but don't take my word for it. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's listen to God, folks. I'm telling you, man is the one who's a liar. Man is the one who's covering this up. And I believe, especially on this issue, dinosaurs is one of the biggest tools the enemy is using to get people to doubt the Bible, okay? And uh, let's take a look. Genesis chapter 1 verse 24 through 26, and clearly God says, yes, man and dinosaurs coexisted, okay? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, when you get there, say move. Should be a quick move because that's page 1, okay? Uh, once again, unless it's large print, it's page 12. Uh, and anyway, so 24 says, and God said, who said? God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move, what? Along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and how many of the creatures that move along the ground? All the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that was good. Then God said, let us, who's us? It's Elohim, plural in the Hebrew, that's speaking of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that what? Move along the ground. He says it a second time, okay? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. So right here at the very first chapter, very first page, depending on your font size, of the Bible. The Bible just tells us, again, the, the context here is creation day, day six. God clearly says that he made man on the sixth day, but that's not all. Who did he also make on the sixth day? He made all the land animals, the creatures that move along the ground. So you put two, two together, get rid of the scales and the blindness and the brainwashing. Okay, just get rid of it all. What does that presuppose? That therefore dinosaurs are Creatures that move along the ground, land animals. So therefore, God not only created them, he created them the same day he created man. So according to the word of God, I'm not making this up. The Bible is very explicit. Man and dinosaurs at one time really did coexist, okay? But that's not all. As we know in our previous study with a young earth, okay, and even in this text, 
This also tells us it's impossible to believe the next lie. Evolution number one says man and dinosaurs never coexisted. Man's never seen a dinosaur. That's a lie. Number two, they would say that dinosaurs, oh yeah, they existed, but they existed 65 million years ago or however long, right? Well, not according to this text. According to the text we saw in our young uh, earth study, we've only been around for about how many years? About 6,000 years, okay? And since the land animals, which would include dinosaurs, were created the same day we were created, then how long have the dinosaurs been around? 6,000 years. So according to this text, God also says there's no way that they were there 65 million years ago. And it certainly couldn't be the evolutionist uh, reason because they said that dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago, and then man came along later. Well, now you even got another problem because the Bible says this clearly in Romans chapter five, death didn't begin until Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, okay? And this is what the Bible says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man who was at, Adam, certainly in the context, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sin, okay? And so the Bible clearly says the reason why you and I have to deal with the current shape that the world's in today, with the death and the suffering and tornadoes and all kinds of messed up things that we got to deal with, disease, suffering, is because of what? Because of man's fall, because of Adam's sin, which, by the way, is a side note, is a, a great understanding for the skeptic. Because how many times have people, non-Christians, come up to you and say, well, what kind of a God is this that he'd create this kind of world with all this evil? Wait, you can't cop that on God. Adam sinned and brought all this junk into it, including death, okay? But this clearly tells us, well, wait a second. If death didn't begin until Adam sinned, and it didn't, according to the word of God, then how in the world could have dinosaurs or anything? have died millions of years ago. It just doesn't work on a multitude of levels. So when you take the word of God at face value, which is what we're supposed to do, the Bible really says man and dinosaurs coexisted. Both were created on day six, okay? And, and you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Pastor Bill, that's kind of weird. Okay, I mean, if you, if you really start to think with this, I mean, how in the world did Adam and Eve stay alive? I mean, haven't you seen the movies? Haven't you seen those uh, uh, children's books? I mean, dinosaurs... <laughs> Big giant teeth, big old things. and they, they, I mean, Adam and Eve must have just been running in fear of their lives. Oh, here comes the T-Rex. Run, run, run. And, and granted, I would say that if that were the case, as Hollywood would presuppose, um, then yeah. I, I, has God got a weird sense of humor? That doesn't sound like paradise. <laughs> you know, having T-Rex chasing you, okay? But see, that's the problem. That's not what was going on. Okay, and so what we're going to do in our study tonight, look at two things on dealing with the coexistence of man and dinosaurs. The first one, we're going to look at the complete feasibility of it, that man and dinosaurs could very well, uh, and I would say did very well exist, uh, coexist in a peaceful environment. They weren't freaking out, running to the hills, living in caves in fear of dinosaurs. Okay, uh, and number two, we're going to look at the hard fact. There is evidence today that they are covering up clearly that man and dinosaurs existed together. Just as we saw in our previous study for 12 weeks on the evidence of a worldwide flood, they're doing the same thing when they see evidence. Wait a second, man and dinosaurs coexisted, okay? And the first one we're going to take a look at tonight is the issue of how in the world could this be a peaceful environment, right? Because again, Hollywood's got us thinking they're huge, big, massive, meat-eating things. They're going to eat you alive. And haven't you seen Jurassic Park? Those people died. Right, and that was a... Okay, but uh, uh, right? 
And so, all right, so, so let's take a look. Well, the first way we know it was a peaceful, coexisting environment, just like the Bible presupposes, is because read the Bible. The Bible says dinosaurs were vegetarian, number one. Dinosaurs were vegetarian, okay? Contrary to what Hollywood would say, dinosaurs in the Garden of Eden were not giant meat eaters trying to hunt down man for a Scooby snack, okay? As we, again, we saw in the previous study, the command to even eat meat did not come until after the flood, right? And let's take a look uh, at that text again. This is in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. Everything God said that lives and moves now after the flood will be food for you. Just as I, in the past, gave you the green plants, I now give you what? I give you everything. So number one, the ability to eat meat, okay, as an option did not come until after the flood, which was long after the Genesis day six and the creation account, etc. number one. Number two, when you also read the scripture, you clearly see up until that point, it wasn't just that man was a vegetarian, all the animals on the planet were vegetarian, which would suppose what? Dinosaurs as well. Let's take a look at that text. Genesis chapter one, verse 29 through 30. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit uh, with seed in it. They will be yours to food, speaking to man. But he goes on, it's not just man. He says this, and to all the what? The beasts of the earth, the animals and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that what? Move on the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was what? It was so. So again, the Bible says, obviously, you put these two uh, things together. Uh, man was vegetarian. Animals were vegetarian. Go back to the premise that people would scoff at this idea that man coexisted with dinosaurs. Adam and Eve were not going around, screaming around the Garden of Eden in total fear that dinosaurs were going to eat them and bite their heads off. Man was vegetarian. Animals were vegetarian. Dinosaurs are vegetarian. It was called the Garden of Eden, not the Garden of Eden. Okay, and it was a paradise. All right, but you might be thinking, well, what is it, Pastor Billy? I mean, wait a second. I, okay, I, that seems to fit, but I, I, they have so brainwashed this. I mean, haven't you seen the pictures of the dinosaurs? Haven't you gone to the museums and seen the big giant? I mean, what do they have with them? Big, huge, massive teeth. I mean, so surely that proves that these guys had to be meat eaters, not vegetarians. No. Now, here's a very big, deep thought. You guys ready for this one? Can you, should, should you take a deep breath before I share this with you? Get ready for this. Did you know that just because something has big teeth doesn't mean it ain't meat? Did you know that just means it had big teeth? <laughs> Hello? Okay. And believe it or not, folks, when you take a look at the facts, just, just did. A lot of guys in research say, listen, that's how they tried to brainwash into thinking that they were meat eaters. Again, contrary to what the Word of God said. Okay, just because you got big teeth doesn't mean you were meat eater. There's lots of evidence that animals have big teeth. They don't even touch meat. Let's take a look at that. Are you saying that T-Rex lived right beside Adam? Yes. You mean T-Rex with all those sharp teeth? There we go inside a T-Rex mouth? Yes. Don't you think that Adam would have been a little concerned when T-Rex was considering lunch? <laughs> Why? Wouldn't it eat whatever it wanted to eat? Well, no. You know, when you read the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, God says that originally Adam and Eve were to eat plants and fruits, and then the animals in verse 30 were to eat plants. In fact, people weren't told they could eat meat until after the flood. Originally, before sin, all the animals, Adam and Eve, 
they were all vegetarian. And here's a T-Rex chomping away on, on as you can see, a, a fruit there, a cantaloupe, or we call them rock melons in Australia. And you say, Mr. Ham, wait a minute, wait a minute. T-Rex obviously has sharp teeth. He's obviously a meat eater. Boys and girls, just because an animal has sharp teeth doesn't mean it's a meat eater. It just means it has what? Sharp teeth, exactly. See, you understand that. You know there's a lot of animals today that have sharp teeth that don't eat meat. By the way, you need sharp teeth to eat certain vegetables anyway. You imagine, you know, in Australia, we eat pumpkin as a vegetable. And our we don't put it in a pie like you do. I don't know why you do that. Why do you ruin pumpkin by putting it in a pie and mixing all those spices with it? No, we make pumpkin up as a vegetable like you cook potato. And some of the pumpkins we have, you almost need an axe to chop them open. Do you think you'd need sharp teeth to eat them? <laughs> Absolutely. Here's an animal skull that looks like a sort of a savage animal. But do you know what it belongs to? A giant panda. And the giant panda chomps mainly on what? Bamboo. Here's another interesting animal. Do you know what that monkey from South America eats? You say anything it wants to eat? Actually, it eats mainly nuts, fruit, and vegetation. So just because an animal has sharp teeth doesn't mean it's a meat eater. It means it has what? Sharp teeth. A lot of the uh, evolutionists just look at, at uh, these dinosaur fossils and they make assumptions on the basis of the fact that something like this dinosaur here has big teeth. But if you carry that to its logical conclusion, then when you look at the skull of an animal that's living today, actually that one's died, but its species is living today, when we look at the teeth there, you'd have to say that that would be a ferocious carnivore, wouldn't you? A ferocious meat-eater. Well, in fact, that's actually the skull of a fruit bat. It never does eat meat. Somebody's still thinking, yeah, but these things were carnivores. I mean, they were great meat-eaters. I mean, how did the scientists know that? Were any of them alive at the time these animals were running around and eating? No, and I know that I'm getting pretty old, but I wasn't there either. Some of them did have some really monster teeth. Take a look at that T-Rex tooth. But do teeth that are big and nasty looking mean a carnivore? Take a look at this skull here. Now, this skull looks mean and nasty. If I was to take this thing and give it to a forensic sculptor, you know, one of those people like you see on CSI Crime Story or one of those, you know, forensic pathologists, yeah. Well, the guy that puts all the stuff on the skull. I mean, if I gave it to that guy and say, look, I want you to put some flesh on this thing. I want you to put some nostrils in it. I want you to put some eyeballs in it, put a tongue in it, put some skin and hair on it. Let me know what this thing looked like. He might come up with something like this. Now, that looks pretty mean and scary. And I don't know about you all, but I wouldn't want to meet one of these out there at 3 o'clock in the morning in the middle of a field somewhere unless I had a really big gun. But do you know what? That skull is the skull of a camel. And a camel is a vegetarian. It doesn't eat meat. But originally, the animals were all vegetarian. In fact, you can imagine the Garden of Eden, maybe, maybe you could ride dinosaurs around. If you stick to the Word of God, is that really without, outside the realm of possibility? Which is not going to say, thus saith the Lord. Now, if you fast forward to the Millennial Kingdom, we've talked about that several times lately. The Bible says that in the millennial kingdom, after the seven-year tribulation, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to set up the millennial kingdom. Part of that, I mean, the earth has just been ravaged and just destroyed through the seven-year tribulation. Well, read the prophets, and you see that Jesus is going to renovate, God's going to renovate the earth back to Garden of Eden-like conditions. Garden of Eden-like condition. Where we saw that what is one of the benefits of during the millennial kingdom? There's going to be peace with animals. Remember how mind-blowing we saw? 
Well, would that include those animals too? They were there at the Garden of Eden. Wouldn't that be cool to have your own brachiosaurus? But those things are huge. You'd have to get binoculars to see me. Oh, Cheryl. <laughs> anyway, but folks, that is, as wild as it is, that really is within the realm of possibility. But man, it, you can see how, listen, just because you've got big teeth doesn't mean it's a threatening environment. Oh, Adam and Eve are all freaking out. It's a peaceful environment. The second way we know that dinosaurs and man really did coexist together in a peaceful environment, it was called paradise for a reason, is because, think about it, dinosaurs weren't all big. All big is the key word there. Okay. Another misconception is that Hollywood would say, well, it's, that's impossible uh, because you know, they had these big teeth and, and we all know that dinosaurs are huge animals. I just talked about one of Brachiosaurus. They're, they're huge, massive, ferocious meat eaters and they're just waiting to jump on you and pounce on you and squish you and bop you like a grape. Ah! Well, uh, there were some big dinosaurs and that's mostly what they show us. But the facts are, folks, most dinosaurs, uh, the average size of a dinosaur was the size of a sheep. Okay. And in fact, some of them were small as a chicken. That's creepy. And some were even smaller than that. Okay, and I want to give you some examples, okay? And this one's called the saltipus. Okay, this is an actual dinosaur. And this little guy actually would make a neat pet. Uh, it's, uh, it's about the size of a house cat. Okay, but here's my point. Okay, the average size of the dinosaur were not these big ones. So why do we only see the big ones? I think part of it's common sense, right? Because if you want somebody to come to your museum... How many guys go, kids, kids, I don't care. Is what, 25 bucks a head? We're all going. I'm calling. We've all got to run in there and see the saltipus. No, what are we going to pay money for? Right? The big guys, the giant ones. And so because that's all they basically have, by and large, you know, the big Tyrannosaurus Rex and all these. We think that they were all that way. No, the average size was about a sheep, smaller like this. And again, that's the example of the saltibus. But here's my point. How many guys, if you were in uh, an environment and all of a sudden here comes the saltibus, your natural immediate instinct would be, ah, run, here it goes. No, okay. And again, so that's usually what's going on. So they weren't all big, okay? Adam and Eve were not running around the garden and screaming, oh, you're gonna, they're going to squish this, we're going to pop this. No, about the size of a sheep or even smaller than that. Okay, so they weren't all big. They weren't meat eaters, number one, and they weren't all big giant ones, okay? But you say, well, but what about the big ones? Well, that kind of leads into the next point, uh, certainly for all dinosaurs, but the other ones, and that is this. Dinosaurs weren't all that brainy, okay? As you can see, Gary Larson tells us apparently the real reason why dinosaurs went extinct. They started smoking. That was not a very good decision, and, uh, but, uh, but anyway, that's his little thing there. They weren't all brainy, okay? Now, this, is, I think, is an important point to understand. Because again, what's the premise that they have with dinosaurs? They're not only big giants, they're not only huge, they're all massive, but they're all meat eaters, and they're out there stalking you. You've seen Jurassic Park. These things are smart. They're intelligent. They're out there just waiting for you. They can sense you. They're hiding. They're in packs. They're commit. No. When you take a look at the dinosaurs, folks, uh, not only did not all of them have these big old giant bodies, but they didn't have big old giant brains. Okay, when you look at this, I'm going to get to that in a second. Which probably means that dinosaurs, uh, to use a vernacular, were probably about as threatening as a Bessie the milk cow. Because we all know when we're driving down the road, maybe to Pahrump or Boulder City, I don't know, wherever John takes you, Ruth. And uh, you, you, you not only, uh, you know, and this is why John forbids you to do what we know you do. As soon as you see a cow out in the pasture, what do you do? You roll down the window and you... Yeah, you know exactly where I'm going. But see, John won't let you do that because, because he said, this is his response. He sees that cow and his instant instinct was just like, roost, quiet, it's looking at us. Ah, here it comes, he chases, run. And he goes about 100 miles in fear of a 
of that dairy cow. Because it's so vicious and mean and intelligent. No, now cows are good, good eating, okay? But they're not the sharpest knife in the drawer, right? It's not like you wake up every day, oh, he's going to get me, right? It just doesn't even in your brain. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to dinosaurs, okay? For instance, I'm going to give you some analogy here. The 29-foot-long stegosaurus. The 29-foot-long, this big guy, this is a big guy, right? Are you, should you really be scared of this guy? He had the brain the size of a walnut. A walnut, right? How many guys would say you probably don't want to ask this guy to help you with math, right? So you put in comparison. I'm going to give you another example. The great big giant apatosaurus had a brain not much bigger than a kitten. Not the whole kitten. I'm talking a kitten brain in the size of that critter, okay? One more I'm going to give you an example uh, is this one is the brachiosaurus I mentioned. If you were to, by comparison, shrink the brachiosaurus down to the size of a man, his brain would be estimated to be 10,000 times smaller than man, right? So dinosaurs, some of them did get big, but you know, as far as this being these intelligent creatures that are going to hunt you down, that's not what we see based on the evidence, okay? Not only were they not meat eaters, okay, uh, and not only were they not all big, but even the big ones, <laughs> you know, probably weren't the smartest knife in the drawer. Okay, it's like a cow going around, and you don't walk around in fear. Okay, so what's your point? You put all that together, you should stick with what the Bible says. The Bible surely says it right there. Man and dinosaurs coexisted together. But when you also take a look at the Bible, and you look at the evidence of dinosaurs, hey, folks, there is no threat to the idea that Adam and Eve coexisted with dinosaurs. They were not a threat. They were not running around the garden. Oh, here they come. Okay? They were in a peaceful coexistence just like the rest of the animals. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with that. But that's just kind of presupposing that. Now let's get into the hard evidence because you could share this typically with the skeptic. Okay? And they'll just say, but yeah, come on. You would think if man and dinosaurs really did coexist again, that we'd find some hard evidence of that, right? Maybe not a whole lot, but at least you'd find somewhere, somewhere around the earth. Well, guess what? We do. In fact, we'd find it all over the earth. The first evidence we see, hard facts, that man and dinosaurs really did coexist together is the evidence of human remains where dinosaurs belong. And this is what they don't tell you when they're out there digging the dirt. They find human bones, human carcasses, mixed in in the same strata with a dinosaur. And this is all over the world. Wait a second, I thought you said they lived 65 million years ago and man never coexisted and nobody's ever seen one. Then what are human remains doing in there? Let's take a look at that. In fact, the evolutionists admit that if this were to ever get out, it would instantly destroy the evolution theory. Let's take a look at that evidence. Richard Dawkins describes the implications. We should be very surprised, for example, to find humans appearing in the record before mammals are supposed to have evolved. If a single well-verified mammal skull were to turn up in 500 million-year-old rocks, our whole modern theory of evolution would be utterly destroyed. We have found that kind of thing rather commonly. One very obvious and dramatic example is near LaSalle, Utah, where perfectly modern human skeletons replaced with malachite are found in a layer that's also found at Dinosaur National Monument, one that is known for its dinosaurs in the Dakota Sandstone. So the key phrase in his statement is, if a well-verified mammal skull well, we went back to the site to see if we could, well, verify. And it's a part of an open pit copper mine, just about 20 miles south of Moab. 
And where you see the backhoe here is where the skeletons were found. Here is one of them still in the rock. This is 50 feet down in the Dakota sandstone. And you see in the lower right-hand corner the pelvis, the knee up near the top, the foot over in the lower left. This one is articulated or together as in life. Uh, most of them are just bones piled together, as is the case here. Some of these look like they go together. They really don't. They're just piled together. This is one that had been out of the rock for about five minutes when we washed it off there with a canteen and held it up for the picture. It's replaced with malachite, which obviously shows it's not a recent burial. It contains no collagen. That typically takes about a thousand years uh, to dissipate. And so this is an excellent turvy fossil. I think there's as much verification as you could ever find. And remember then what Dawkins says, if you can well verify it, his conclusion is evolution would be utterly destroyed. I think that's exactly what's happened. Literally dozens of places throughout South America that, that demonstrate amazing technology as well as <laughs> the coexistence of humans and dinosaurs, which, uh, of course, evolutionists cannot tolerate. We see pictured here uh, Dr. Uh, Javier Cabrera, who was 20 years head of the Department of Medicine at the University of Lima, with his hand behind a fossil skull embedded in a tertiary boulder with a modern skull in the foreground for scale, now being head of the Department of Medicine, he knows what a human skull looks like. Uh, he brought that there for comparison and brought this to our attention. He says, in this tertiary boulder, which is uh, very close to, that's the next layer above the dinosaurs, uh, some 60 million years ago, we've got a human skull. Uh, well, we came down to investigate that, and by the time we had gotten there, uh, it had been sabotaged. Actually, he had made some comments to reporters. They had mentioned it in the newspaper, and someone destroyed it. And here you can see the hole where that skull was. It was bashed and completely removed. Well, wait, wait a second. I realize something might disagree with your theory, right? You're finding human remains. What's the significance? These are the same supposed geologic column layers. We talked about the geologic column and all that issue before. But according to their theory, man should never be anywhere in these columns, in these layers. These are the layers where the dinosaurs are. What's man doing in there? So, okay, I agree that it obviously upsets your theory, but why would you purposely go down and destroy it? I thought that was the purpose of science, right? You're supposed to deal with the facts, and you adjust your so-called theory according to the facts. But folks, I'm telling you this, you're going to see it throughout the rest of the study, Lord willing, over and over and over again. This is what these guys are doing. As soon as they find something that proves, once again, the biblical account, even, yes, that man coexists with dinosaurs, they go and destroy it. They destroy it, they hide it, they hide it away, get rid of it, okay? That's not science, okay? But that's the tip of the iceberg. Oh, by the way, those were in rock. What are humans' remains doing 50 feet down in rock? Obviously, that's left over from a flood, okay? And that's why you find them all mixed together. Uh, with that as we saw before. But that's not the second evidence that man and dinosaurs really did live together, like the Bible says, is we not only find human remains where dinosaurs belong, but we find human tracks with dinosaurs along. In fact, if you take a look at the evidence, it's almost like they were side by side. Wait a second, I thought 
That's impossible. I thought they say that's no. In fact, you start taking a look at the tracks, and again, these are found all over the world. Okay, how do they explain this one? Well, they don't, but we're going to see once again. They're trying real hard to destroy the evidence. Let's take a look. We can see the big sauropod-like elephant tracks almost, and then the three-toed theropods. But in addition to tracks like this, we also have tracks that look like this. Wonder what that could be. I was somewhat intimidated by the objection because it, it was just almost too good to be true. And so we looked around for some that weren't quite so good and found some as well. Here's one in the lower right-hand corner that was identified by the Dallas Crime Lab as a human footprint of the same criteria they identify footprints at a crime scene, along with dinosaur tracks that had just been excavated. And some of the tracks that we found were very, very human-like. But the explanation was either that this is erosion or uh, they were carved. It has to be one or the other. So we got a new set of objections instead of falling down a crack or intrusionally buried. Now then, it's, it's erosion or carved. Well, Stan Taylor decided to test some of these ideas back in the early 70s, taking a bulldozer, uh, backhoe, and following a trail of two tracks that were seen there in the river that came out of the riverbank. Well, they're alternating layers of clay and limestone and clay and limestone, about six feet of them there. And if he removes that and these tracks continue back up under the bank, what would that say about the idea they'd been carved? That'd pretty well rip it, wouldn't it? He did, and yes, found nine more tracks, for a total of 11, in a right-left pattern, some of them very clear and obvious with the mud push-up around it that you can see here, uh, again, arguing against the erosion factor. The one that really persuaded me, and I was trying to play the devil's advocate, is there some way that this could be explained, was this track. And you have to, and this, we extended that 11 series, 11 track series to 14. This was one in the extension. You have to look at this a minute to really see it. As we highlight this area, you can see the dinosaur portion of it. It's about 25 inches long, but look what is in the middle of it. With all five toes and instep and heel. But this one is perfect. Several were saying, well, maybe it's erosion. Others were saying, maybe it's carved. And when you get both, you know it's right in the middle and is exactly as good as it can get. We made a presentation of this at a national science meeting up in Tennessee. Glenn Kuban was there, who won Humanist of the Year for explaining these away. He was on the plane the next morning and in the river that afternoon with a long iron pole. And uh, we got several calls saying he's out there with an iron pole and got out there. And by the time we got there, it looked like this. It had just been beaten to pieces. The typical thing they say, this, I mean, just predict it. Well, you need more evidence. I mean, that, you can always say that. You, you need more evidence, and they do. And so in 2000, with the drought in this area, we noticed that this trail that's coming across it here, we could see more of it because the water had gone down. And so we decided to pump the river dry. And so we got quite a few pumps and uh, 30, 40 people down there pretty regularly for over a three-month period. And uh, with a lot of work, uh, a lot of shovels, a lot of movement of dirt and watering a lot of farmers' fields on either side of the river, uh, we pumped it dry and followed that trail and exposed the longest consecutive dinosaur trail on the American continent.
uh, 154 dinosaur tracks over 500 feet long, and they're not only the, the longest trail, but they may be the clearest and most spectacular trail. The sharp detail is just, just awesome. When you go up ahead, it crosses this trail of human tracks that are very consistent in length, right, left pattern, all five toes, instep and heel. Then we presented that, and guess what they said then? Well, you need more evidence. <laughs> and, okay, let's try the platform up ahead this time. And we moved ahead, and uh, this platform, we had to go down three or four layers till we got to the print layer, and sure enough, there's about 100 dinosaur tracks on this platform with uh, 15 human tracks going right through the middle of it. Different individual, this one was consistently, consistently about 10 inches, but the right-left pattern is obvious. And we look at a close-up here of the center, and we see two tracks that are slightly raised, uh, like the duck foot, uh, dinosaur footprints. Uh, but you can see that they match on either side. But the one on the right looks like something stepped in the back of it, doesn't it? And it's depressed. It's not raised. It came along after the infill had filled in the other tracks. Looking at a close-up of the one on the right, we'll see there is that duck-shaped dinosaur track that matches the one next to it perfectly, but again, the depressed track within it is just perfect. And if we had enough dark, you could actually count the knuckles and the toes here. And that's in a sequence of 15 in a right-left pattern. Okay, want some more evidence? <laughs> It just keeps piling up, and they keep evading. If you want to draw a cartoon, uh, I think the reality would be more like this, in the throes of a catastrophic flood. As they were trying to escape, they were running, and uh, these were the ones that missed the boat. Wow. Now, why wouldn't you want to get that out? That would destroy your theory overnight. It would, yeah, stop, Grant. Give credence to the biblical account and the Bible, but also, wait a second, God judges this planet. This is real. This book is not myth. It's not a bunch of allegories. It's an actual historical account of what happened. You better get ready. But how in the world is that science? Did you notice a secondary, and this isn't all, and Lord Boom will see much more, and it gets even more violent, but how in the world do you call that science? The, the Kuban, the guy he talked about who won Humanist of the Year, the next day after he heard this news, he was on a plane the next day destroying the evidence. What, what kind of award do you get for that? Biggest hypocrite award, with all due respect? Excuse me? Is that science? What are you trying to do? And he goes on tonight. We can go on and on, but he goes on and he gives another example with, uh, in New Mexico. This is found all over the world. He gives another interesting uh, cover-up story. He talks about how in Russia he was contacted uh, and uh, given some pictures by scientists over in Russia and, uh, of the same issues, dinosaurs, human tracks. And uh, they were, got their visas, getting ready to go over there. But as soon as the government found out that they got their visas, they not only stopped him from coming, they fired the guy and made that guy leave the country. This is being covered up all over the world, and that's not science, okay? 
But that's the tip of the iceberg. You might be thinking, well, wait a second, Pastor Billy. If uh, God really did create the dinosaurs and they really did live with man, then, well, all right, then what happened to them, right? Obviously, how many guys, when you're driving here tonight, uh, had to uh, stop at that light uh, 30 seconds extra because there was a herd of a T-Rex going by? And if you raise your hand, we'd be praying for you here shortly, okay? No, right? So obviously, we don't see them today, at least not in great numbers. We'll get to that later. Uh, so what happened to the dinosaurs, right? What really happened to the dinosaurs? Was it really 65 million years ago with this meteor? And, or was it something a little bit more liquidy, like a flood? That's what the Bible says, but we'll get to that, Lord willing, next week. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that. And it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, 
your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row, 
It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.